Book Nine, Chapters Nine to Thirteen of Confessions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Confessions by Saint Augustine, translated by Albert C. Outler. Book Nine, Chapters Nine to Thirteen. Chapter Nine. Thus modestly and soberly brought up. She was made subject to her parents by thee, rather more than by her parents to thee. She arrived at a marriageable age, and she was given to a husband whom she served as her lord. And she busied herself to gain him to thee, preaching thee to him by her behaviour, in which thou madest her fair and reverently amiable, and admirable to her husband. For she endured with patience his infidelity, and never had any dissension with her husband on this account for she waited for thy mercy upon him, until, by believing in thee, he might become chaste. Moreover, even though he was earnest in friendship, he was also violent in anger, but she had learned that an angry husband should not be resisted, either in deed or in word. But as soon as he had grown calm and was tranquil, and she saw a fitting moment, she would give him a reason for her conduct, if he had been excited unreasonably. As a result, while many matrons, whose husbands were more gentle than hers, bore the marks of blows on their disfigured faces, and would in private talk blame the behaviour of their husbands, she would blame their tongues, admonishing them seriously, though in a jesting manner, that from the hour they heard what are called the matrimonial tablets read to them, they should think of them as instruments by which they were made servants. So, always being mindful of their condition, they ought not to set themselves up in opposition to their lords. And, knowing what a furious, bad-tempered husband she endured, they marvelled that it had never been rumoured, nor was there any mark to show, that Patricius had ever beaten his wife, or that there had been any domestic strife between them, even for a day. And when they asked her confidentially the reason for this, she taught them the rule I have mentioned. Those who observed it confirmed the wisdom of it and rejoiced. Those who did not observe it were bullied and vexed. Even her mother-in-law, who was at first prejudiced against her by the whisperings of malicious servants, she conquered by submission, persevering in it with patience and meekness, with the result that the mother-in-law told her son of the tales of the meddling servants which had disturbed the domestic peace between herself and her daughter-in-law, and begged him to punish them for it, in conformity with his mother's wish and in the interest of family discipline to ensure the future harmony of its members, he had those servants beaten who were pointed out by her who had discovered them, and she promised a similar reward to any one else who, thinking to please her, should say anything evil of her daughter-in-law. After this, no one dared to do so, and they lived together with a wonderful sweetness of mutual goodwill. This other great gift thou also didst bestow, O oh my God! my mercy, upon that good handmaid of thine, in whose womb thou didst create me. It was that, whenever she could, she acted as a peacemaker between any differing and discordant spirits, and when she heard very bitter things on either side of a controversy, the kind of bloated and undigested discord which often belches forth bitter words, when crude malice is breathed out by sharp tongues to a present friend against an absent enemy, she would disclose nothing about the one to the other, except what might serve toward their reconciliation. 
This might seem a small good to me if I did not know to my sorrow countless persons who, through the horrid and far-spreading infection of sin, not only repeat to enemies mutually enraged things said in passion against each other, but also add some things that were never said at all. It ought not to be enough in a truly humane man merely not to incite or increase the enmities of men by evil speaking. He ought likewise to endeavour by kind words to extinguish them. Such a one was she, and thou, her most intimate instructor, didst teach her in the school of her heart. Finally, her own husband, now toward the end of his earthly existence, she won over to thee. Henceforth she had no cause to complain of unfaithfulness in him, which she had endured before he became one of the faithful. She was also the servant of thy servants. All those who knew her greatly praised, honoured, and loved thee in her, because, through the witness of the fruits of a holy life, they recognised thee present in her heart. For she had been the wife of one man, had honoured her parents, had guided her house in piety, was highly reputed for good works, and brought up her children, travailing in labour with them as often as she saw them swerving from thee. Lastly, to all of us, O Lord, since of thy favour thou allowest thy servants to speak, to all of us who live together in that association before her death in thee she devoted such care as she might have if she had been mother of us all. She served us as if she had been the daughter of us all. CHAPTER Ten. As the day now approached on which she was to depart this life, a day which thou knewest, but which we did not, it happened, though I believe it was by thy secret ways arranged, that she and I stood alone, leaning in a certain window from which the garden of the house we occupied at Ostia could be seen. Here in this place, removed from the crowd, we were resting ourselves for the voyage after the fatigues of a long journey. We were conversing alone very pleasantly, and, quote, forgetting those things which are past, and reaching forward toward those things which are future, end quote. We were in the present, and in the presence of truth, which thou art, discussing together what is the nature of the eternal life of the saints, which eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man. We opened wide the mouth of our heart, thirsting for those supernal streams of thy fountain, the fountain of life, which is with thee, that we might be sprinkled with its waters according to our capacity, and might in some measure weigh the truth of so profound a mystery. And when our conversation had brought us to the point where the very highest of physical sense and the most intense illumination of physical light seemed, in comparison with the sweetness of that life to come, not worthy of comparison, nor even of mention, we lifted ourselves with a more ardent love toward the self-same, and we gradually passed through all the levels of bodily objects, and even through the heaven itself, where the sun and moon and stars shine on the earth. Indeed, we soared higher yet by an inner musing, speaking and marvelling at thy works. And we came at last to our own minds, and went beyond them, that we might climb as high as that region of unfailing plenty where thou feedest Israel for ever with the food of truth, where life is that wisdom by whom all things are made, both which have been and which are to be. Wisdom is not made, but is as she has been and for ever shall be, for to have been, 
and to be hereafter do not apply to her, but only to be, because she is eternal, and to have been and to be hereafter are not eternal. And while we were thus speaking and straining after her, we just barely touched her with the whole effort of our hearts. Then, with a sigh, leaving the first fruits of the spirit bound to that ecstasy, we returned to the sounds of our own tongue, where the spoken word had both beginning and end. But what is like to thy word, our Lord, who remaineth in himself without becoming old, and makes all things new? What we said went something like this. If to any man the tumult of the flesh were silenced, and the phantoms of earth and waters and air were silenced, and the poles were silent as well, indeed, if the very soul grew silent to herself, and went beyond herself by not thinking of herself, if fancies and imaginary revelations were silenced, if every tongue and every sign and every transient thing, for actually, if any man could hear them, all these would say, we did not create ourselves, but were created by him who abides for ever. And if, having uttered this, they too should be silent, having stirred our ears to hear him who created them, and if then he alone spoke, not through them, but by himself, that we might hear his word, not in fleshly tongue or angelic voice, nor sound of thunder, nor the obscurity of a parable, but might hear him, him for whose sake we love these things, if we could hear him without these, as we too now strained ourselves to do, we then with rapid thought might touch on that eternal wisdom which abides over all, and if this could be sustained, and other visions of a far different kind be taken away, and this one should so ravish and absorb and envelop its beholder in these inward joys, that his life might be eternally like that one moment of knowledge which we now sighed after. Would not this be the reality of the saying, Enter into the joy of thy Lord? But when shall such a thing be? Shall it not be, When we all shall rise again? And shall it not be that all things will be changed? Such a thought I was expressing, and if not in this manner and in these words, still, O Lord, thou knowest that on that day we were talking thus, and that this world, with all its joys, seemed cheap to us even as we spoke. Then my mother said, Son, for myself I have no longer any pleasure in anything in this life. Now that my hopes in this world are satisfied, I do not know what more I want here, or why I am here. There was indeed one thing for which I wished to tarry a little in this life, and that was that I might see you a Catholic Christian before I died. My God hath answered this more than abundantly, so that I see you now made his servant, and spurning all earthly happiness. What more am I to do here? CHAPTER Eleven. I do not well remember what reply I made to her about this. However, it was scarcely five days later, certainly not much more, that she was prostrated by fever. While she was sick, she fainted one day, and was for a short time quite unconscious. We hurried to her, and when she soon regained her senses, she looked at me and my brother, as we stood by her, and said in inquiry, Where was I? Then, looking intently at us, dumb in our grief, she said, Here in this place shall you bury your mother. I was silent, and held back my tears, 
but my brother said something, wishing her the happier lot of dying in her own country, and not abroad. When she heard this, she fixed him with her eye, and an anxious countenance, because he savoured of such earthly concerns, and then, gazing at me, she said, "'See how he speaks.' Soon after, she said to us both, "'Lay this body anywhere, and do not let the care of it be a trouble to you at all. Only this, I ask, that you will remember me at the Lord's altar, wherever you are.' And when she had expressed her wish in such words as she could, she fell silent, in heavy pain with her increasing sickness. But as I thought about thy gifts, O invisible God, which thou plantest in the heart of thy faithful ones, from which such marvellous fruits spring up, I rejoiced and gave thanks to thee, remembering what I had known of how she had always been much concerned about her burial-place, which she had provided and prepared for herself by the body of her husband. For as they had lived very peacefully together, her desire had always been, so little is the human mind capable of grasping things divine, that this last should be added to all that happiness, and commented on by others, that, after her pilgrimage beyond the sea, it would be granted her that the two of them, so united on earth, should lie in the same grave. When this vanity, through the bounty of thy goodness, had begun to be no longer in her heart, I do not know, but I joyfully marvelled at what she had thus disclosed to me though indeed in our conversation in the window, when she said, What is there here for me to do any more? She appeared not to desire to die in her own country. I heard later on that, during our stay in Ostia, she had been talking in maternal confidence to some of my friends about her contempt of this life and the blessing of death, when they were amazed at the courage which was given her, a woman, and had asked her whether she did not dread having her body buried so far from her own city, she replied, "'Nothing is far from God. I do not fear that, at the end of time, he should not know the place whence he is to resurrect me.' And so, on the ninth day of her sickness, in the fifty-sixth year of her life, and the thirty-third of mine, that religious and devout soul was set loose from the body. Chapter 12 I Closed Her Eyes and there flowed in a great sadness on my heart, and it was passing into tears, when at the strong behest of my mind my eyes sucked back the fountain dry, and sorrow was in me like a convulsion. As soon as she breathed her last, the boy Adiodatus burst out wailing, but he was checked by us all and became quiet. Likewise, my own childish feeling, which was, through the youthful voice of my heart, seeking escape in tears, was held back and silenced, for we did not consider it fitting to celebrate that death with tearful wails and groanings. This is the way those who die unhappy, or are altogether dead, are usually mourned. But she neither died unhappy, nor did she altogether die. For of this we were assured by the witness of her good life, her faith unfeigned, and other manifest evidence. What was it, then, that hurt me so grievously in my heart, except the newly made wound, caused from having the sweet and dear habit of living together with her suddenly broken? I was full of joy because of her testimony in her last illness, when she praised my dutiful attention, and called me kind, and recalled with great affection of love that she had never heard any harsh or reproachful sound from my mouth against her. But yet, O oh my God who made us, 
how can that honour I paid her be compared with her service to me? I was then left destitute of a great comfort in her, and my soul was stricken, and that life was torn apart, as it were, which had been made but one out of hers and mine together. When the boy was restrained from weeping, Evodius took up the psalter and began to sing, with the whole household responding, the psalm, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord. And when they heard what we were doing, many of the brethren and religious women came together, and while those whose office it was to prepare for the funeral went about their task according to custom, I discoursed in another part of the house with those who thought I should not be left alone on what was appropriate to the occasion. By this balm of truth I softened the anguish known to thee. They were unconscious of it, and listened intently, and thought me free of any sense of sorrow. But in thy ears, where none of them heard, I reproached myself for the mildness of my feelings, and restrained the flow of my grief which bowed a little to my will. The paroxysm returned again, and I knew what I repressed in my heart, even though it did not make me burst forth into tears, or even change my countenance, and I was greatly annoyed that these human things had such power over me, which in the due order and destiny of our natural condition must of necessity happen. And so with a new sorrow I sorrowed for my sorrow, and was wasted with a twofold sadness. So, when the body was carried forth, we both went and returned without tears, for neither in those prayers which we poured forth to thee, when the sacrifice of our redemption was offered up to thee for her, with the body placed by the side of the grave as the custom is there, before it is lowered down into it, neither in those prayers did I weep. But I was most grievously sad in secret all day, and with a troubled mind entreated thee, as I could, to heal my sorrow, but thou didst not. I now believe that thou wast fixing in my memory, by this one lesson, the power of the bonds of all habit, even on a mind which now no longer feeds upon deception. It then occurred to me that it would be a good thing to go and bathe, for I had heard that the word for bath, balneum, took its name from the Greek balneon, because it washes anxiety from the mind. Now see, this also I confess to thy mercy, O father of the fatherless. I bathed and felt the same as I had done before, for the bitterness of my grief was not sweated from my heart. Then I slept, and when I awoke, I found my grief not a little assuaged, and as I lay there on my bed, those true verses of Ambrose came to my mind, for thou art truly Deus creator omnium, polique rector, vestiens diem decoro lumine, noctem sopora gratia, artus solutos utquies redat laboris usui, mentesque fessas alevet, luctusve, Solvat anxios. O God, creator of us all, guiding the orbs celestial, clothing the day with lovely light, appointing gracious sleep by night, thy grace our wearied limbs restore, to strengthen labor as before, and ease the grief of tired minds from that deep torment which it finds. And then, little by little, there came back to me my former memories of thy handmaid, her devout life toward thee, her holy tenderness and attentiveness toward us, which had suddenly been taken away from me, 
and it was a solace for me to weep in thy sight, for her and for myself, about her and about myself. Thus I set free the tears which before I repressed, that they might flow at will, spreading them out as a pillow beneath my heart. And it rested on them, for thy ears were near me, not those of a man who would have made a scornful comment about my weeping. But now in writing I confess it to thee, O Lord, read it who will, and comment how he will, and if he finds me to have sinned in weeping for my mother for part of an hour, that mother who was for a while dead to my eyes, who had for many years wept for me that I might live in thy eyes, let him not laugh at me, but if he be a man of generous love, let him weep for my sins against thee, the father of all the brethren of thy Christ. CHAPTER Thirteen. Now that my heart is healed of that wound, so far as it can be charged against me as a carnal affection, I pour out to thee, O our God, on behalf of thy handmaid, tears of a very different sort, those which flow from a spirit broken by the thoughts of the dangers of every soul that dies in Adam. And while she had been made alive in Christ even before she was freed from the flesh, and had so lived as to praise thy name both by her faith and by her life, Yet I would not dare say that from the time thou didst regenerate her by baptism, no word came out of her mouth against thy precepts. But it has been declared by thy son the truth that whosoever shall say to his brother, You fool, shall be in danger of hell-fire. And there would be doom even for the life of a praiseworthy man if thou judged it with thy mercy set aside but since thou dost not so stringently inquire after our sins, we hope with confidence to find some place in thy presence. But whoever recounts his actual and true merits to thee, what is he doing but recounting to thee thy own gifts? Oh, if only men would know themselves as men, then he that glories would glory in the Lord. Thus now, O oh my praise and my life, O oh God of my heart, Forgetting for a little her good deeds for which I give joyful thanks to thee, I now beseech thee for the sins of my mother. Hearken unto me, through that medicine of our wounds, who didst hang upon the tree, and who sittest at thy right hand, making intercession for us. I know that she acted in mercy, and from the heart forgave her debtors their debts. I beseech thee also to forgive her debts, whatever she contracted during so many years since the water of salvation. Forgive her, O Lord, forgive her, I beseech thee, enter not into judgment with her. Let thy mercy be exalted above thy justice, for thy words are true, and thou hast promised mercy to the merciful, that the merciful shall obtain mercy. This is thy gift, who hast mercy on whom thou wilt, and who wilt have compassion on whom thou dost have compassion on. Indeed, I believe thou hast already done what I ask of thee, but accept the free-will offerings of my mouth, O Lord. For when the day of her dissolution was so close, she took no thought to have her body sumptuously wrapped or embalmed with spices, nor did she covet a handsome monument, or even care to be buried in her own country. About these things she gave no commands at all, but only the desire to have her name remembered at thy altar, where she had served without the omission of a single day, and where she knew that the holy sacrifice was dispensed by which that handwriting that was against us is blotted out. 
and that enemy vanquished who, when he summed up our offences and searched for something to bring against us, could find nothing in him in whom we conquer. Who will restore to him the innocent blood? Who will repay him the price with which he bought us, so as to take us from him? Thus to the sacrament of our redemption did thy handmaid bind her soul by the bond of faith. Let none separate her from thy protection. Let not the lion and dragon bar her way by force or fraud. For she will not reply that she owes nothing, lest she be convicted and duped by that cunning deceiver. Rather, she will answer that her sins are forgiven by him to whom no one is able to repay the price which he, who owed us nothing, laid down for us all. Therefore, let her rest in peace with her husband, before and after whom she was married to no other man, whom she obeyed with patience, bringing fruit to thee, that she might also win him for thee, and inspire, O my Lord, my God, Inspire thy servants, my brothers, thy sons, my masters, who with voice and heart and writings I serve, that as many of them as shall read these confessions may also at thy altar remember Monica, thy handmaid, together with Patricius, once her husband, by whose flesh thou didst bring me into this life, in a manner I know not. May they, with pious affection, remember my parents in this transitory life, and remember my brothers under thee, our father, in our Catholic mother, and remember my fellow-citizens in the eternal Jerusalem, for which thy people sigh in their pilgrimage from birth until their return. So be fulfilled what my mother desired of me, more richly in the prayers of so many gained for her through these confessions of mine than by my prayers alone. End of Book Nine